Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Time to get the bikes out, and for most of us, that means tandems. Have you ever considered tandem mountain biking? Lily has some interesting news to report on mountain biking on trails and some conflict that's uh, evolving regarding hikers and backpackers. I'm going to speak with a big fan of mountain biking blind on tandems. She's got over 1,500 kilometers racked up already on trails. And I've got a reflection to share on why we need to come together on issues around conservation. Come on, Lewis, let's go find Lily. Did you know? Hi, Lily. Hi. Lily, when I was younger and I could see more, you know, I had good peripheral vision back then, even though I was still registered blind, but I had a bike and I loved taking my bike everywhere. You know, I was fine on the roads. I lived in a small town, but what I really enjoyed was riding my bike on trails. Just there's something about a narrow trail and the branches really close to your uh, shoulders and your arms and your face. You feel like you're, you're really flying because everything's so close and you're moving. It just gives the impression that you're going so fast. But I understand there's some uh, issues people have with bikes on trails. What did you find out for us? Well, it turns out there are a number of wilderness activities who are growing apoplectic at the thought of bicycles in areas that have long been reserved for only people and horses. People who claim mountain biking is just one many way of appreciating being in the outdoors are being accused of being disingenuous. In some cases, people are arguing that permitting bikes in wilderness is tied to increasing access for people who use wheelchairs. I, I've heard, uh, you know, sometimes people with disabilities try to do secondary gains by, you know, hey, I have a disability here. Do you mind giving me a free pass? Yeah. You know, but uh, but it's not that common when other people try to capitalize on someone's disability uh, other than maybe, uh, you know, handicapped parking permits. <laughs> <laughs> mm, shush. Um, mountain bikers are irate at what they see in, as an unfair restriction that target mountain bikers exclusively. Riders of bikes with labeling hikers and horse riders are as wildernuts and recreationalists. Wreck as in like a wreck. Um, it's anything but constructive dialogue. So how did mountain bikers and hikers, you know, all of them, you know, reside in the same big tent of doing stuff in the outdoors end up in this sort of feud? Uh, well, the growth in the population of mountain biking has led to some conflict with hikers and equestrians, people who trail ride horses, especially on popular trails near urban centers. This friction soon spread to the back county with some wilderness proponents accusing backcountry cyclists of selfishly viewing the natural world as nothing more than a personal gymnasium. Some believe bikes should not be allowed in wilderness areas. Wilderness areas are one of the few places left for people on foot to find peace and escape all things modern. But mountain bikers claim they have a place in the backcountry as well. Some mountain bikers see the backpacking set as trying to kick them out of some of their most beloved places to ride. I think a lot of trails should just be reserved for people walking or with their horses. It's, I, I don't think bikers should be allowed everywhere. These are technical issues about sharing and usage, and, and, and that can all be worked out. But I think we should focus more on our common goals, which is being in nature and, and making sure nature is going to be around for future generations to do the same thing. And I think that's the message that's being lost. Some define conservation as making sure some places are left alone. That restraint and respect for nature is what the human species has to embrace for nature to flourish. And 
ultimately for humans to flourish on the planet. Billy, I wonder how much this has to do with, you know, people who want to spend time in nature to experience that awe factor, right? Well, the dispute over bikes and wilderness is in part, an argument over aesthetics. When you're hiking in the woods, you're there to slow down and get close to nature and find some peace in the world. A mountain bikers, you know, speeding around the bend can shatter the peace, leaving your nerves rattled and, you know, kind of mad about mm -hmm. it. So just knowing bikers could be coming around the corner can add an ambient tension to the hike. Mountain bikers often tell hikers that to avoid problems, all they have to do is stay alert. But that's state of perpetual vigilance interferes with our ability to relax. And it's the exact reason that people go to the forest to take a hike. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, when I'm walking on a mixed youth path, right, a path that's shared between walkers and bicycles, you know, I, I don't see at all. So, you know, I'm not quite sure if my dog's staying to the right as he should be, or if he's in the middle of the path or on the left side of the path where he prefers to be, you know, walking with his feet on the grass and be on the sidewalk. But, uh, yeah, and then bikes come towards you and they ring their bell and you think, okay, I can't jump left or right. I'm going to get, if I move suddenly, I'm going to get run over. So you try to just, you know, be calm. And, and sometimes they get so close to your dog. It's, it's, it's a little nerve wracking for sure. It, it, once in a while, people yell uh, or blow a whistle, you know, in my ear as they're going by. Just, but it doesn't happen that often. Most people are very considerate. Well, no, I've ex I've experienced stuff like that all the time. Like when I'm going around Gatineau with my friends, the bikers, especially in Gatineau, there's this very uh, egocentric bike culture in Quebec. So the bikers really, really think that they have main priority over everyone and will literally come right behind you without ringing their bell. Oh, yeah. Like I, I remember walking no, I in Stanley Park in, in Vancouver and the bikers there, man, it's, it's, it's like crossing a highway. You yeah. take your, you take your life in your hands crossing a bike trail there. They, they, they show no mercy to pedestrians. Uh, hikers want peace and quiet and bikers want challenge and adventure. And yeah, researchers call this goal interference and it's all the heart of the bikes and wilderness debate. Mountain bikers, they often underestimate the impact they have at the experience of hikers, much like ATV riders and snowmobilers don't appreciate their impact on non-motorized users. Cyclists say, we're willing to share, why can't hikers? But when bikes use on a trail becomes too heavy, many hikers abandon it. That's not sharing, it's displacement. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we have to find a way to uh, sort of sort this out. And, and I think it's possible. I mean, over in the Gatineau's, they're, they're creating bike trails just for bikes and they're quite popular. People are really into it. So yeah, maybe not all the trails have to be reserved just for, for hikers. Maybe we need to learn to share. Lily, our next guest is a blind mountain biker. And she's got over 1,500 kilometers uh, ratcheted up on her uh, tandem bike with her sighted partner. So let's hear. Not going to happen, Dad. <laughs> Not ever going to happen oh, over man. my dead body, oh, which yeah, is no. very likely to happen if we go tandem mountain biking. <laughs> well, let's hear what Renee has to say. Outdoor Adventures. Renee Kester-Sabronik joining us on Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Uh, Renee reached out to us when I put out my call for blind, low-vision people that love mountain biking on tandems. Now, that's something not everyone gets to do. Actual mountain biking on trails, it's, it's, a, it's a little different than on the road. But welcome, Renee. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me and having me on. Oh, my pleasure. And thanks for reaching out. Uh, you are a true off-grid mountain biker what got you into this like you must have started you know with a road or did you just jump right into the whole mountain bike thing 
No, we had a tandem road bike for a while. And then my husband had a couple knee surgeries and his surgeon said the best way for him to strengthen his knee back up was to get into biking every day. He got turned on to mountain biking and he loved it. And he ran into a couple on a tandem mountain bike in the woods. And he's like, I got to get Renee on one of those. So he <laughs> tried to convince me. It took a while. And we took our road tandem on a, a small trail to see how I would like it. And you could feel every root and rock. And I said, well, if we're going to get one, it needs to be full suspension because I'm, you know, almost 59 years young and I could feel all of that. And I, uh, so he convinced me and we got one in 2018 and we have almost a thousand miles on our bike and wow. it's been, it's been really fun and exciting and yeah, lots of adventures. So tell me what's different about it in, in terms of like a one seater mountain bike where we ordered it from it's a custom built bike from mtb tandems in georgia usa we ordered a 27.5 by three inch tires they're not the fastest ones but they're the more stable ones and they made the ride a little more cushy and uh you the front you know the front uh captain he is in charge of braking and steering Mm -hmm. And he has the computer up front to tell us how far we've went and how many miles per hour we're going, etc. Uh, this bike has is especially built for you know tandem off-road biking, and it has a four-piston hydraulic disc brake system. I right. mean, because yeah, it it has a lot of stopping power because you need to, you know, there's probably about four hundred plus pounds that it needs to stop right with us and the bike and the gear the i think the bike weighs around 42 pounds okay so it's not it's not white 27 inch wheels is that did i is that what i heard tires yep 27.5 by three inch tires i'm told that with a mountain bike you need slightly bigger tires when when you go to a tandem because you need when you're going over like i said humps and roots and things like that it, you know, there's the fulcrum, the middle of the bike where the, where the pedals are and the, and the sprockets and all that. And, mm -hmm. and so if the front tire goes over and then starts to come down a slope and the back tire hasn't come up the slope yet, you could easily dig a pedal into the, uh, into the ground or into a root or something. So you need to keep those pedals high off the ground, which means slightly larger tires. Is, is that the case? Is that what you guys are dealing with? Yes. Definitely. There is some clearance on here. I mean, you have to have clearance because my husband is always, you know, have to try and time things so that, you know, if we are going over rocks, rocks or roots that he, so that I don't hit my pedal on them, which I have done. And then my foot comes off the pedal and then have to get back on there. But uh, it, you know, it's all about practice. The main three things are um, cooperation communication and consideration. So, and communication is probably the biggest one of that. I like the consideration thing too. That's interesting because I guess uh, if you're always thinking about the other person, there's less chance of you pissing them off. <laughs> right. Well, I will tell you that tandem mountain biking along with tandem whitewater canoeing, which we have done yeah. and uh, building a house 
are true tests of a marriage let me tell you oh yes i agree (laughs) i know that there's been some people that have tried tandem mountain bikes and they they don't last very long but yeah we've (laughs) we you have to have a lot of trust in your captain because even sighted stoker riders cannot see over their captains right so they're mm-hmm. actually riding kind of blind in a way um, yeah. unless they're unless they look around their captain but you have to tell your captain if you're doing that because otherwise the bike might tip over on you because he'll he'll get off kilter and uh yeah so it's it takes a lot of trust for sure yeah you gotta be like one body i guess on that bike right in terms of throwing your weight around you go to yes are you part of the bike or do you lean when you feel you need to lean or you just sort of become part of the bike? You, you kind of become part of the bike because you need to just, yeah, go with the flow. And uh, there's some gestures or not. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> no there's some uh, commands that he tells me. Uh, a few of them are one is hands which means I need to put my hands in farther on the handlebars so that they don't hit the trees on the trail because it's a very skinny trail with trees right on left and right of us. Right. Uh, And I've gotten my pinky smashed before. Um, Another one is hill. So if we're going to be climbing a hill, I need to let up on the pedals so that he can shift without wrecking the the shifter. Another one is duck. (laughs) If there's a tree, <laughs> and that's not that quack tree. quack type. Not yeah, the... no. <laughs> if there's a tree branch that's going to hit me on my helmet, he's like duck. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so... lots of communication, and and it's always fun being in the outdoors, yeah. and you know, nature, um, fresh air, and you know, we've ran into some animals out there, and uh, the trails we ride are just uh, very peaceful and beautiful, and. Uh, and, and, and I'm located in north central Wisconsin, mm-hmm. about 90 miles east of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Gorgeous. So what kind of safety equipment are you wearing then, uh, Renee? Like uh, walk us through and tell, tell, tell us what kind of safety equipment you've settled on and why. Um, well, I think the helmet is the most important one uh, and it needs to be comfortable and mine has a visor on it. And then I wear sunglasses too, because you don't want tree branches poking you in the eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, gloves, a good pair of gloves that are comfortable. Um, so like I said, if you do rub up against a tree, it's a little easier on the skin. So some, uh, sort, of, some sort of gloves that have a little bit of protection over the fingers, some <clears throat> like a mechanics glove or something. Yes. And then they have a little padding on the palm too, so that it takes up some absorbs some of them shocks you know okay. even though it is yeah. full suspension it's still you know a little jarring on the body sometimes and uh and then good comfortable biking shoes we have clipless ones so we actually are you know clicked in and to the pedals which gives you a better cadence to uh get get your speed going and we usually go around eight and a half miles an hour. Cause I, I don't like to go faster than that. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that's one of the consideration factors is that, you know, you need to be on the same page, you know, one, yeah. one can't be wanting to go 
15 miles an hour and the other one wants to go 10 miles an hour that's not going to work and uh (laughs) so and most of our rides are usually around 10 or 11 miles per ride because that's usually about an hour and a half of riding and that's enough for me (laughs) yeah especially Uh, especially on technical uh, terrain right as this isn't the paved road where you're whipping down there 30 miles an hour no no you're going around roots and rocks and trees and climbing hills and it was good exercise and uh it's yeah, it's it's fun. It's adventurous. It's thrilling. I like it. Do you have a special seat that you uh, that you pick oh, for your bike? Yes, I um, ordered a. It's called a Terry Butterfly Gel seat. It's actually made in Italy, and wow. it's super comfortable. Yeah, it's it's really, I and and your your seat height and handlebar adjustments are. I mean, micro adjustments it can make a huge difference on your comfort right really people you, you really need to pay attention to that because your handlebar as a stoker on the on the rear seat your handlebar mm-hmm. is attached to the seat of the of the person in front so correct as as their seat goes up and down so do your handlebars so a you little need, bit yeah so you need to they have to find the right seat adjustment for them and then you need to find a way to get the handlebars to where you want them. You don't want to be leaning way over so your your helmet's dug into their back. You don't want right. to be, you don't want to be leaning way back. You want to have yep. a nice comfortable position where you're, you're a little bit forward, I guess. Your weight is on your feet, and yeah, you can you can stand, you can sit, you can adjust, move around a little bit on on the bike as as needed. But you're comfortable. Well, and and as far as standing, I mean, I need to sit, uh, stay seated unless we communicate that it's okay for me to stand mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I stand up, I mean, that changes the whole geometry of the bike. And, you yeah. know, if you're going like across a bridge or something, that wouldn't be good. So that's, you need to, <laughs> you need no. to, be, I mean, the, and the bridges are skinny bridges. I mean, they're only maybe a foot wide, wow. you know, going across different things. And wow. uh, yeah, so it's, um, and then we usually have like hydration packs on with lots of water. You want to keep hydrated for sure. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, maybe bring a snack along. We usually take a break in the middle there and just take a rest. And because, um, yeah, it's it's physical and uh, but it's good for you. Hey, the suspension on these bikes, you, you say it's got suspension on the front and the back, I guess. So yeah, is that both with, with shock absorbers and springs and. Yeah, there's big shocks on there. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know the whole logistics of that, but yeah. yes, it's they're high end shocks. I know that they can take a lot, and you have to adjust those just right too. Luckily, my husband does work on the bike himself, so he he knows how to adjust all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. Can Can I ask what a bike like that would cost? Well, it costs about as much as a. Uh, used car <laughs> some, <laughs> some used cars yeah, uh, yeah. i mean uh, it cost around eight thousand dollars yeah american yeah yes american it, i you know i've looked on on the internet for tandem mountain bikes and the prices range yeah you know the prices range from uh, you know three thousand dollars to twenty thousand dollars and, and oh sure you know just it like what you want just depends what any you sport want. yeah just yeah. like any sport you can spend as little or as much as you want but you know you're going to get what you pay for too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not everybody, I mean, there's not many places that make 
tandem mountain bikes. No. And these guys, the mtbtandems.com in Georgia that make them, they know what they're doing. They've been doing it for a while and they actually ride tandem mountain bikes themselves, the owners of the company. So, wow. Wow. yeah. So I, I've contacted the bike rental places around here. We have some uh, trail riding areas in the Gatineau Hills here in Quebec. And, and none of the places that rent out mountain bikes for these trail rides are renting out tandem bikes. You can you can rent tandem bikes for road riding in around the city. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. But no one's getting into the tandem bikes, you know, at this point. Yeah, it's a very niche market, I think. It's the, the mountains, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, we have went on a few rides with there was like a few tandem mountain bike ride, you know couples mm-hmm. that we went on a ride with a, a few times so that was kind of fun to be with some other ones and and we you know run into some people on the trails once in a while but the the trails here are you might run into one or two people when you're out on a ride but yeah usually no usually it's no people so no people and and give us a a hair raising kind of tale of near disaster or or something you really feel proud of a, a big success you must have a few stories up your sleeve oh yeah there's uh there's been a couple uh spills for sure and um you know making tight corners is always a challenge uh at first my husband wasn't sure how we would get up some of these hills but Luckily, I mean, I go to the gym and I have pretty strong legs. Uh, so that wasn't a problem. He's like, oh, that wasn't e- that was easy. <laughs> and uh, so but there was a, a really big hill uh, down at one trail system that we hadn't rode before. And it was quite a ways to the top. And it's like, I really wanted to do that. And uh, it took it took a bit. And uh we had to take a break in the between there, but we made it to the top. And I thought that was really, I was pretty proud of that. And that was only after a few hundred miles on our bike. And we have close to a thousand on there now. Now, mountain bikes were originally designed, I think, for racing down mountains in the summertime, like the ski slopes, right? This is not for the weak of heart. Is this something you guys have tried? Have you come down any of these hills? No. That's not in my repertoire. I think most people just want to stay on the trails. Yes. I was just reading an article. Hikers don't want to be, you know, reminded that there's bikes whipping by them and they have to get off the trail as the bikes go by. And there's a little bit of uh, resentment, apparently, between the hikers and, and the mountain bikers. Have you experienced any of that? The trails need to be shared sometimes by different people. Mm. Um, I know that in our area, there was a couple times that, uh, the bikers and the horse riders oh yeah yeah got uh a little miffed at each other but um and i know there's hikers yes they're like oh this is our we hiked here before you biked here this and that and it's you know we just all have to get along and cooperate and and i know that yes definitely the mountain biking has become extremely popular especially since the shutdown and all that. Renee, any uh, last words of advice to people thinking about getting into this sport? You only live once. You got to get out there, have some fun and make some memories. It's not only safe, but it it, it can add years to your life. I mean, think about the cardiovascular and the exercise and the fresh air. It's, it's fantastic. Yes. Thanks, Renee. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Have a great day.
There's many groups of people who have different hobbies that involve nature. As always, companies are happy to see these new interests evolve that create new markets for new products to sell to people. People who love these sports often form their own little user groups where they share, you know, activity reports and maybe gear reviews. Whether it's biking or snowshoeing or cross-country skiing or hiking or camping, you know, I think it's important that we all identify a common interest and a common responsibility. I'm talking about, you know, making sure that our activities are leaving nature better than when we found it. It's not just there for us to take advantage of. It's not just going to take it all the time because it's quiet. It doesn't mean it's not feeling the pain. It's up to us to intuit that and understand that maybe what we're doing is not sustainable and turn it around to make sure that we do it in sustainable ways. We got to get that message out, folks. Everyone who does stuff in the outdoors has to take on responsibility as well. We need to give back just as much as we take. It's a one health situation. If we're feeling better, nature should be doing better too. And if we all did that, if all the different groups that spend time in the outdoors agreed to that, we'd have a much stronger common base to draw on in terms of advocating for greater conservation. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, the manager of AMI-audio, Zandi Frank. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcast.